0: understanding the world that we live in can be very exhausting. It can make our mind do unthinkable things. Today's guest, Dr. William Jackson, incorporates psychotherapy, positive psychology, and the most accessible core methods of meditation into his practices. With 7,000 plus hours of total time in retreat, While a monk, he practiced with an organized retreat of Buddhist teachers around the world, including His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He's here today to help us understand his contemporary evidence-based meditation practices. Let's not waste any more time and get into today's exciting episode.
1: Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others.
0: To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something Right now, Doctor Jackson, could you please introduce yourself and let the audience know just a little bit more about you and how you got to where you are today?
2: Sure. My name is uh, William Jackson. I uh, I'm a health psychologist and a former Buddhist monk. And what that sort of means is, as a health psychologist, I uh, help often people who have both a, maybe a chronic illness and something that they're dealing with psychologically. Uh, and I found that sort of niche for myself after being a Buddhist monk and deciding I was going to take the robes off. I wanted to find a way that I could utilize what I learned in meditation to help people. And uh, it just so happens that uh, mindfulness has found a niche in the chronic pain community. Uh, and then sort of expanded into the rest of the medical community from there. So that's what sort of brought me into doing the work that I'm doing now. Um, And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but there's certain types of practices and certain structures uh, of uh, courses and learning meditation that are more helpful than others. And I've sort of veered in the direction of these more uh, comprehensive uh, meditation programs.
0: right off when i saw you on Potit, i saw that you were a former buddhist monk yes that just fascinates me could you walk us through <laughs> what made you become a buddhist monk and then why would you decide to walk away from that lifestyle
2: sure yeah uh so before i became a monk i was actually an actor So I started in my junior year of high school acting because I wasn't doing so good academically in my uh, public high school and, you know, getting into a little bit of trouble here and there. But I had one teacher who uh, saw me do uh, a bunch of impressions and characters, and he really encouraged me. So I went with a friend to this performing arts high school audition. They gave me a little bit of a scholarship and uh, things went from there. And then in college, I was studying Shakespeare in England, and I was in a, a Christian missionary, so that they had just opened space that they rented out to the, these uh, acting groups. And um, I found a book by the Dalai Lama, and the book was called How to Practice, The Way to a Meaningful Life. And I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started reading the book, and it said, you know, enlightenment is when what is good for you and other people happens to be what you want to be doing day in and day out. I thought, okay, that's not too hard to uh, believe in, or I don't have to believe in too much. It's pretty evident. I can take that at face value. And then he said, to develop a meditation practice, you uh, should start by meditating 30 to 45 minutes a day for three months. So I had a lot of time, and he had these cool names for what you could develop. He did. I uh, developed calm abiding, I thought, Well, that sounds cool why don't I try it? So I started practicing thirty minutes a day, and you know within a month or so, I really started to develop a comfortable space in meditation. All these sort of magical things started to happen, but what was most important for me is I started to understand uh, my feelings and my mind a little bit more deeply. I started become familiar with. Uh, The arc that feelings had, uh, anger, frustration, anxiety, I was able to watch it come and watch it go. And uh, I remember one specific moment sitting across from one of the actresses and she was talking to her friend and she said, oh, I'm so jealous of da-da-da-da-da. And when she said that, I thought, that's not what she actually means, right? Her, Her words don't match up. She's not actually jealous of her friend. Actually, she's really happy for her and i wonder why people do that we don't actually share how we're feeling we don't we're not vulnerable with each other in some way um part of that is because often we don't feel safe to do so or we're self-conscious or whatever it is and i started talking to her about this you know out loud and just you know pondering out loud and what i noticed is that the whole table had gotten quiet and they started listening and they wanted in on the conversation they found it to be valuable and for somebody who you know, got in a lot of trouble when they were younger and had this sort of bad perception of themselves, to be offering something to a table full of, you know, Christian missionaries who are listening and feel that there's value in what I'm saying um, that came from a meditation experience of mine, that was really meaningful to me and sort of started to change my perception of myself. So I started meditating more. That got me hooked. And, um, and then a monk came to our, mo- uh, to our college um, when I was back in the U.S., One thing led to another. I asked him if I could come and do a meditation retreat at his monastery. He said through a translator, oh, you can't become a monk that easy. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to be a monk. Uh, And then he said, "Okay, you can come. And three months meditation retreat turned into five. And after six months, I had a shaved head and was wearing a robe. The first couple of years was really difficult because you have to let go of all your coping mechanisms and find new ways to deal with stress which I had all sorts of bad habits that were sort of propping me up. And when I let go of those, I was anxious and stressed and everything for the first couple of years. But as my meditation developed, I found new ways to cope and uh, more healthy ways to, to relate to myself and to the world. I continued my meditation practice. I got deeper and deeper. I ended up studying more in the Theravada tradition, going into the forest in Burma. And there was a meditation that I was... And in Burma, after a couple months in meditation retreat, uh, where you're meditating 10, 14 hours a day in a hut in the woods. And I was uh, in, in, in one of those meditations. And I had this realization that my mind was changing. I was becoming a different person in meditation. Uh, I was really crafting my mind day in and day out uh, for well-being. And I thought about my family and friends and thought, like, well, what are they crafting their mind for? And, like, you know, just everybody in the world, what are you doing with your mind every day? Because what you do changes your mind. And are you using your mind in a way that's gonna lead to more well being? And it was just this sort of deep, you know, you can understand it intellectually, but the experience of it was this profound thing. And I realized in that moment that I wanted to come back to the United States. I wanted to share what I had learned in meditation with other people. And to do that, I really needed to develop the language to express what I had learned. I couldn't just share it with somebody. They had to go through the experience themselves and learn it. So that was 10 years ago where I had that realization, or 12 years ago now. It's taken me a good it took me about a good 10 years to develop a system, meditation practice that I feel like was in like a common language. That people could understand that I tested it out going step by step and could take people along this sort of journey with me and experience something similar to what I've experienced in terms of my greatest well-being. And part of coming out of that and realizing you know what's important to me, I wanted to have a family that was important to me. I wanted to have a group that I felt part of and that was uh, of like-minded people and I wanted to go back to school because I found science would be a really helpful way to express what I had learned and I had sort of a respected uh, tradition. So that sort of took me out of the meditation uh, life or, or rather the, the monastic life and brought me into being a professional psychologist. I did some collaborations first with scientists and, and meditation and then that brought me into going back to school for psychotherapy. So as a, as a clinical health psychologist, I think about psychology fitting in the meditation and mindfulness system. So psychology helps you to practice meditation better rather than how maybe most psychologists think of mindfulness as just an an addition to the world of psychotherapy. Uh, So that's sort of just my my journey in brief uh, of how I went from being a suburban punk to uh, a monk and back.
0: (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that's good. You know, you talked about the arc of change there. And earlier I listened to a video that you did. It was called, I could use a drink. And you (laughs) talked about the stages of change in that. Mm. Could you walk our audience through the stages of change?
2: Sure, sure. There's a, a... Uh, a system in in psychotherapy or some research that was done on how people actually make change in their life. Um, This is uh, Prochaska and DiClemente's work on the stages of change. And this was originally used in uh, working with people who were working through alcoholism, um, being an alcoholic, and uh, trying to reduce that negative behavior and Um, adopt new healthy behaviors. And there's really a couple stages that people go through. So the first one is called pre-contemplation. So pre-contemplation is, ah, there's no problem. You know, like drinking is fine. It doesn't really bother me. You know, it's not really affecting my life. Then the next stage is contemplation. And contemplation is, hmm, I think something's wrong. There might be something, there might be something to this. Everybody's telling me that I should stop drinking and I'm a different person when I'm drinking. Like maybe I should do something about it, but I'm not really not really sure about it. I'm still thinking about it. Then there's planning. And usually people jump to action, but the planning stage is, well, okay, now I, I know I want to do this. I want to take some action on uh, reducing drinking and that sort of thing. Let me plan out the best way. I'll get rid of all the alcohol in my house. I'll tell everybody that I care about that I'm doing this so they can support me I'll get a psychologist so I can meet weekly with somebody I'll join a group right? these, is, these are the plans that somebody will make to make sure that it's a successful action Usually people jump to action without that planning it out really well then there's action you take the action you stop drinking you get rid of all the alcohol you tell people you join a group you get a psych therapist whatever it is and you try to sustain this so the next Stage is maintenance, and often maintenance takes a different energy than action does. So maintenance is what are the ongoing things that I need to do to keep this new behavior. Well, that might mean like, well, now I'm going to take up running, and I'm going to get into a relationship that with somebody who also doesn't drink, and all of these other support structures. I'm going to make friends with people who don't drink, right? And then you're changing your life to keep this new way of being. Uh, There's new way of being going to enhance your well-being. And then, the, sorry, the last piece is relapse. So we screw up and then we go back to planning, right? And it's not about, oh, I screwed up. Let's throw out the baby with the bathwater. Forget it. It's knowing that that's part of the process and normal part because we're human beings. We're not robots. So we go back to the beginning. We plan a little bit better this time. And then we take the action. We create a system that's a little bit more comprehensive to make sure that we can kind of get through it. So you can apply this to anything, adopting a new healthy behavior, whether you're trying to learn how to meditate, um, whether you are trying to let go of overeating or eating too much sugar or smoking or whatever it happens to be, you can use this process to uh, create new healthy behavior. And I think when I'm teaching meditation, I'm helping people to do this too, not just to develop meditation, but to change their life, to look at the areas of well-being in their lives, the things that mean the most to them, and to take action on those. And for me, meditation is a really key piece because you're exercising the part of your brain that allows you to make that executive decision, that helps you to stay motivated, to stay on task, to catch your mind when it drifts off where you don't want it going, and bring it back um, on the wagon. Uh, So yeah, those are the sort of the stages stages of change, adopting a new healthy behavior.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because we all go through that curve in life somewhere, somehow. That's where meditation kind of comes in to help us. When we learn to meditate, and I'm just learning to understand meditation, I'm diving in to understand how to calm our minds down. Meditation is a big part of that maintenance part, is it not?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it can also help you build that energy, that momentum, that motivation to actually take action. Uh, Because it can be a really soft beginning. So you can, you know, just start being mindful in your day to day, be more aware of what you're doing with your body, more aware of your speech, uh, more aware of some of your thoughts. Habits and uh, how that's affecting your day to day, and that starts exercising that muscle. And then if you develop a sitting meditation, something like focusing on the breath, where you're noticing when your mind drifts away, come back. Mind drifts away, come back. Mind drifts away, sort of wake up in the moment. That's going to help you to wake up in your day to day as well and recognize, whoa, I'm acting in a way that I don't want to be acting. I my value is to be kind, and here I am getting upset and I'm yelling at somebody who doesn't deserve it. Or, you know, waking up in the middle of eating a piece of chocolate cake, and you're like, wait a second, I'm, I'm working on my health. What am I doing? Like, I'm just following my desire. And I got lost in the moment. And that's natural. That, that's who we are as human beings. We get caught up in those things. We get taken away uh, by a distraction from the outside or from the inside. So it really is almost going against the grain, going upstream, so to speak, uh, to wake up out of those out of the default mode way of of thinking and being in the world.
0: With that, I was just finishing up your interview with Andrew Wood. He talked about the don't know mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is
0: is that really the purpose of meditation? To you know introduce this I don't know mind set.
2: Yeah, so uh Andrew Wood, who's a um he's a psychologist in the Boston area, and he studied psychoanalysis and uh, which is like a Freudian approach to psychotherapy. And he also studied with um uh Sung Sung Sinim, who was a Korean Zen master. So John Kabat-Zinn, who's a big mindfulness guy, he also studied with Sung Sung Sunim in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, in Boston. He would have a lot of Harvard students come into Harvard and MIT students who were bright kids, right? They would come into some of his meditation classes and they'd be expounding philosophy and being very analytical with him. And he would just yell, don't know! Don't know mind! And um you know, which was sort of shocked people, but that was his intention was you might know a lot of things, you might logically think your way through something, but how do you actually feel? You might be able to logically reason out why you made a particular decision, but is that truly honestly, where you are, what you want out of your life, right? So reason doesn't necessarily we're not always reasonable um, or uh, if, you are, if you come into meditation and saying that you already know what meditation is, you're going to miss the experience. And this is sort of the, the core of mindfulness, is we're letting go of our previous conceptions, and we're just staying with the bare experience, as simple as something like when I say "I'm angry," or "I'm anxious." We, we use these words to communicate with each other. And when I say I'm anxious, you might think you know what I mean because you have an experience of anxiety. But actually, how it happens in my mind, it might be a racing mind where you might think it's an unpleasant feeling in your stomach. Or I might think it's my hands get sweaty. And you might think um, that uh, you feel paralyzed, right? So it's a different experience. And so we often think we know what somebody else is talking about. Or you know, any, any type of concept like that. And, it, and mindfulness is letting go of our preconceptions and just being present. What is actually in front of me? And uh, can I keep the, the mind that I don't actually know what is in front of me yet? I'm going to perceive it. I'm going to let it in. And that allows you to actually be present for your life, present for who's sitting in front of you rather than thinking you know who they are. Even if it's somebody that you've lived with with for twenty years, they might something might have happened to them today where they're a different person, where they've changed, um, and that will allow you to actually be there. Or your feelings about what you want to do, or what kind of job that you want, or what direction you want to move in your life, might have actually changed overnight. And if you're present with yourself, you can actually be more authentic. You can be more grounded in who you are, uh, because we are changing all the time. And I think that sort of don't know mind as that Korean Zen tradition sort of um, talks about is the core of mindfulness, which allows you to be grounded, present in your life and, and and be present for your life.
0: Yeah. I found that very enlightening because we all kind of need to get to that point where we wipe it all away. It's a baby step thing. (laughs) Yeah. On your sheet you sent me, Mm-hmm. It says, uh, what is the difference between mindfulness, meditation, and concentration, and why develop those?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, mindfulness is a state of mind. It's something that we've been sort of pointing to in our discussion already, which is this non judgmental, open, sort of connected to your heart, present moment awareness. Uh, where you're letting go of your conceptions about the world. And as one monk, Bhante Gunaratana, who wrote a book called uh, Mindfulness in Plain English, which is free, people can just find the PDF online. as Well, he says, uh, mindfulness is what happens before we clamp down and section off our experience of the world, right? This, this sort of continual stream of awareness, It's uh, just taking in all the sensory input and feelings and everything. And then we put it into words, right? which is, words are never quite perfectly describing the experience. So mindfulness is what happens before words. right? What is your experience before you just start to describe it? And if you return to that state of mind again and again, you'll gain a deeper understanding of the world that is deeper than an understanding that's just through words. Because words ultimately are just pointing at an experience. And mindfulness is continually trying to be with that experience, Um, whether it's with another person, whether it's with yourself, your mind, your feelings, your body, whatever it happens to be. You're getting more information um, than words can, can describe. So this is the mindfulness state of mind. And this is a mind that can be brought about. And it's actually pretty well researched. They know sort of what parts of the brain are involved in being mindful. And they also know how to bring that state about. So bringing that state about again and again is meditation. So mindfulness-based meditation is the practice of bringing about that state of mind again and again, sort of in bouts. And then you start to um, keep that state of mind over time. So you you can be mindful of something. So in mindfulness of the breath, so Anapanasati meditation is one of the most common meditation techniques. So you are staying with the sensation of breathing. So you might feel the sensation of breathing around the nose and you're mindful of that sensation over time. And that is sort of concentration. So developing mindfulness of one thing over time. And eventually you can watch it change. You can watch as the sensations of the breath change. They come in, they go out, they're cold, they're warm. Sensation around your nose or your upper lip, you watch it and stay present with that continuous unfolding of the sensation. And the concentration is not focusing really hard. It's concentration like a good tomato sauce, right? So you put it, the simmer on low, and slowly it, it concentrates into a nice, delicious, flavorful sauce. In the same way, when we are concentrating our mind, it's not focusing really hard like when your third grade teacher says, concentrate. It's different. It's over time, slowly, with gentle persistence the mind starts to concentrate, starts to come together and get powerful um, and it gets rich and it gets deep. And so when you come out of meditation where you've developed concentration, your mind is vibrant. It's clear, it's clean, it's refined and concentrated. So that's sort of the difference between those, those three.
0: Talk to us about your skillful means program. What is it and how will it help people?
2: Sure. So, I've taken um, a number of uh, mindfulness courses, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mindfulness uh, training for primary care clinicians, and you know, there's lots of fantastic. These are all great programs. Um, those are in the medical uh, field, uh, and you know, the Benson-Henry Institute, a Mass General Hospital, the Center for Mindfulness and Compassion in Cambridge, Massachusetts. These are beautiful centers. They're doing great work. And then I also have taken, uh, you know, training with you know Zen Buddhism, uh, Vietnamese Zen, um, Burmese Theravada, some Tibetan traditions, and I've practiced in all these different traditions. And they're all great; they're great approaches. But I feel like they had they were missing something, and at least missing something for me. And I think for some other people as well. One is they have a clear meditation technique, and I think that's great, but. They're missing a couple other things that I think psychotherapy actually can help people with. So one is motivation to practice. So a lot of people will learn a technique and then they kind of lose the motivation to keep practicing. One thing that I found is really helpful to keep that going is clarifying your picture of well-being. So why are you meditating? What are you trying to move towards in your life? What is the motivator for you? So in my skillful means skillful means program. Have people identify the domains of their life that are really important to them that will help bring them closer to well-being. So for somebody, it might be physical health, or somebody might want to lose weight, somebody is trying to exercise more to feel stronger. Another person might want to develop relationships with their family. Another person might be working on career. And in all of these, as we were talking about earlier, they all involve behavior change. They all involve letting go of some bad habits and accepting and building some new, some new positive habits. So in this meditation course, it's not just sitting on a cushion. We're identifying your domains of well-being. We're helping you to move towards those. We're helping you to develop a systematic meditation practice to uh, build those muscles to make that adoption of a new behavior easier, quicker, and more uh, sustainable. In the meditation, you're also managing anxiety, depressive feelings, all of those sort of benefits that you get from meditation, better concentration, memory, sleep, all of that stuff. Uh, And then we help you actually integrate it. And I think this was another thing that was missing in a lot of meditation programs is they teach you the the technique and then they say bye-bye. So in my program, we also take you through step-by-step and have you apply these meditation techniques in the domains of well-being and the areas of your life that are important to you. Uh, And there's partners, there's accountability partners, there's a group um, that you meet with every week where uh, people are uh, supporting you and sharing insights about how they've applied meditation in their life. And this is over 12 weeks. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, we have people who go on to do it for um, a year. So meeting weekly with that same group that they started with. And uh, it's really supportive. You know, this is a way that people can continue practicing and applying it because it's a long-term skill. So when you decide you're going to act in a new way in whatever domain of your life, it's it's a choice to start. But then that maintenance phase, that continuing um, to make that choice again and again and again in your day-to-day, that takes support. It takes long-term sort of commitment. It's not a one-time sort of sort of choice. So the last part is really cultivating a community for yourself, and we do that intentionally. Who are the people in your life who really love your picture of well-being and support you, uh, who aren't going to make fun of you for loving to do some quirky thing. Um, But rather, they they are your biggest cheerleaders. And how do we spend more time with these people? And how do we create common habits and hobbies and that sort of thing in which we can interact with them more and more? So these are the four pieces. um, Defining your picture of well-being, developing a systematic meditation practice, integrating the insight from that practice into your life, and then creating a community of support. Um, And we do this with online courses and meditation recordings and all of that sort of business. Um, So people can, can do it from, from anywhere in the world.
0: Well, you've got a lot of good insight and your experience level is astronomical. Uh, You don't find a lot of Buddhist monks that come back and help the Western culture overcome their mind you know because here in the United States especially we can really start churning our mind especially right now during our COVID period we're all going to get through this but what you do can help people through this time period how can people get a hold of you and connect with you
2: Sure. So I think the best way is going to my website. So we have a new website actually going up this week. We're at the end of January sort of recording this right now, but it should be up in, in a week or so where you can uh, see we have a couple of different courses. We have the big 12 week program. We have some smaller courses. If you want to just get a taste like one week or four week course, they'll be going up. We also have meditation challenges. So if you want to try to meditate for seven days straight or do a big one where you're meditating 30 days in a row for an hour a day, um, that might be a lot for people, but it's exciting for for others. And then not just with meditation specifically, but insight, Uh, just developing insight in your life. We also have programs that are coming out for developing uh, nutrition, a picture of your, your well-being in terms of what you digest. And we talk about the science of the microbiome and not prescribing somebody a diet, so to speak, but letting them sort of organically find that uh, in terms of what they want out of their life and energy and and, uh, understanding the science behind what types of food bring you what type of well-being, um, both uh, physiologically and and mentally as well. And then we'll also have some yoga courses for emotional health and well-being that are based on the same concept of helping you define your picture of well-being, not us sort of telling you what that is, and then being part of a community where people really respect your own unique picture of well-being. So going through the website, um, skillfulmeans.life, is probably the best way uh, to connect with us. Or you know, we have uh, the Facebook, Skillful Means Community, or Skillful Means on Instagram. And we're always putting out some content that we hope will be helpful for people.
0: Dr. William Jackson, we thank you for being on the Dead America podcast. It's all about sharing, helping, and providing that mechanism of hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way... Please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.